Welcome to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast with Lauren Curry of Curry Financial Group Limited. In this podcast, we are focused on helping businesses set up and manage their group benefit plan to protect and assist their most valuable assets. Join us on this journey where Lauren explores ways to help you develop effective and cost-efficient strategies for your business. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Benefits of Knowledge with Lauren Curry. Lauren, how are you today? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It's always good to talk to you. I, the last podcast was about HCSAs and that was incredibly informative, a ton of information. But what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about some benefit plan risks. Um, we talked in our previous uh, podcasts and the early ones about some of the things we do for our administrators. And I said we had an administrator's checklist. Mm. Uh, it's our, part of our way of training them, if, if you will. And uh, I'm going to talk about a few of the things that we have questions on on a regular basis. Got it. So that administrator checklist, is that something that our listeners can, can get from you? They sure can, Eric. That's, oh, okay. uh, we'd provide that to anyone. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to ask you at the end of the show today uh, to, to tell us where they can get that. And uh, so hopefully the listeners can, can call you up or, or email in and, and get that info from you. But today, so benefit plan risks, how many are there? I mean, is it, is it risky? Uh, well, I, when I talk about risks, I'm really talking about risk to the employer. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have to make sure that uh, we're not leaving ourselves open to possibly being sued or different mm. things like that, right? Yeah, that's a bad thing, yeah. <laughs> All right, so where do we start today then? Well, one of the things we run into a lot is people saying, well, I want to opt out of the plan. I, you know, I shouldn't say a lot. It's one of our more popular questions. Really? And uh, I know, to be quite honest, I'm sure there are, um, you know, clients of mine out there that there are employees that I don't know they're there um, and they've allowed them to just opt out of the program. We strongly recommend that this is not allowed and uh, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about first. Okay. All right. I, I didn't realize that that would be even something that people would consider opting out of a plan like that. Well, uh, the, the biggest reason is people are sharing in the cost, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as an example, maybe the employee pays 50% of the premium for the health and dental. And they say, well, oh, okay. I can't afford it. I don't want to pay for it. Uh, so that's one of the other reasons. Again, a previous podcast we talked about uh, being tax efficient and actually having the employer try to pay for the health and the dental because that is a tax-free benefit to the employee. Okay. Got it. All right. So there, are there any type of guidelines that people need to follow or employee, employers or employees need to follow when it comes to benefit plans? Definitely. So the first thing, basically, just to give people an idea uh, how group benefits work is we are trying to share the risk, right? If we've got 50 employees, you know, one of them is going to get sick, right? One of them, mm -hmm. you know, some of them are going to need certain medications and stuff. But we don't know which employee that's going to be. Um, so we spread the risk by everybody chipping in some premium. That's the idea of insurance. Yep. And if we just said to people who wants to be on the plan, we're going to have what we call anti-selection. And so what's going to happen is everybody that's using medication, as an example, uh, they're going to join because they think, well, I'll pay X number of dollars in premium, mm -hmm. but look, I can get all my medications paid for. 
um, that anti-selection is going to drive the rates, the premiums for that group way up. Oh, yeah. Because right? the people that are don't use as much or don't use anything, they're not putting anything in. So then they're, they're only going to want in once, once they need something. So that just doesn't work. So Canadian insurance guidelines do require that employees participate in the health benefits that are offered by their employee, or sorry, employer. Okay. All right. Then you also, you have a contract with that insurance company. And I'm sure lots of, you know, clients, employers don't really maybe pay attention to those contracts. Uh, but your smaller companies, if you've got 20 employees, um, that, that contract's going to say it's mandatory participation, 100%. Mm. You get into larger groups, then that contract is probably going to say 75 or 85% participation. So people need to check their contract. Okay, wait a second now. So I'm a little confused because you said larger companies, you know, they're, they require 75 to 85% you know, percent or 90% participation, whatever the number is. But that means that some people don't have to participate at the same time, I think you said that Canadian insurance guidelines say that people have to participate. Uh, yeah. So it, it, the employer can say they have to be. Again, you really have to follow the contract with the insurance carrier. Okay. Even those larger companies. Again, we strongly recommend that if you work here, you're in the plan. That's the way it should be. Okay. So what are the situations where an employee can actually opt out? Okay, um, so one of the areas that, that we see all the time is if, if your spouse has coverage, then there, you know, there's no need for both spouses to pay for extended health care and dental coverage, right? So they can opt out of that. That doesn't okay. mean they opt out of the plan. So the other part of the plan is what we call pooled benefits. That's going to be your life insurance, your long-term disability, that type of thing. So what happens is you enroll in the plan, you waive health and dental. Now, if my spouse loses coverage, they lose their job or whatever's happened there, then I have 31 days to get my spouse dependents onto the plan with no health questions. Right? That makes sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. That's good. Right? So if they're on the pooled benefits, they don't become what we call, call sorry, what we call late applicants. So a late applicant is someone that does not enroll within the 31 days of being eligible for the plan. If that happens, then that those employer, that employee has to fill out health questionnaires to be able to get on the plan. So number one, they might get turned down. And if they're a late applicant, they're probably going to have a limited amount of dental coverage in the first year on the, of coverage. And the idea here is we don't want people coming on just when they need to be on the plan. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the whole idea is you, you sign up for the plan right at the start. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So that's, that's number one. Now, if somebody definitely, you know, I've worked here for 25 years and I'm not signing up and I mean, there, there, there gets to a point. Okay. And generally I don't hear about these situations, but I know they happen out there. Mm -hmm. So again, our advice is you work here, you're on the plan. Again, remember you have signed a contract with an insurance carrier, uh, but if the situation or that larger group where it is you know, possible that you have the ability that somebody did want to opt out, they can, I would make sure that, that both the employee and if they have a spouse, 
that they sign a waiver to say I have been offered benefits and I am turning them down. Yeah, right? and I you think keep that's a great that idea. in the employee's file. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want... absolutely. Right. So, and, and, and so why would we worry about that? Uh, well, if you turn the radio on and you hear uh, continued, I mean, there's uh, advertisements from lawyers continuously to don't pay us anything unless we win. Well, mm-hmm. if, if someone becomes disabled or, or they're dead and uh, the lawyer is dealing with, say, the, uh, the spouse, uh, their first question is going to be, did they have group benefits, especially if they're disabled, right? Mm-hmm. And if they say, no, we don't have them, but everybody else at the company did, boy, you just get ready because you're, you're going to be getting sued. It is going to cost you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be a yeah. terrible situation. It, it really would for, for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So the other time that we, you know, we do see people opt out is sometimes during a leave of absence. Uh, it could be while they're disabled, could be while they're off on maternity leave or any other form of leave. Now you have to also be very careful, uh, especially on things like maternity leave, because you know the uh, the government does have rules that we have to follow. Mm-hmm. So. Number one, we strongly recommend again that the employer continue to pay any benefits that they pay 100% of the premium for. So as an example, let's say the employer is paying 100% of the, the life insurance, the accidental death and dismemberment dependent group life, right? That's pretty common. Yeah. If somebody goes on leave and they decide that they do not want to keep the health and dental because they have to pay part of the premium, but if the employer is paying 100% of the other portion, then that employer, you should keep that coverage in place because you have been paying for it. Uh, it's not going to look good if there's a problem if you discontinue that. Yeah, I can imagine. So let me ask you this though. If, can they have something in writing? Let's say the, the employee wants or needs to take a three-month leave of absence and they say, I don't want to pay in anymore. I want to opt out. Um, is there something that the employer can do to make sure that the employee actually does come back so they're not paying three months worth of benefits for somebody at the end of the three months to say, meh, no, I'm gonna, I got a different job? Uh, no, I, I would okay. say <laughs> not. I guess if you want to try and make an agreement with them, I, I don't think there's going to be anything standardized that, that we would have a form for something like that. Um, you know, again, if you're, if someone's on say maternity leave, as an example, if you're paying for those benefits, the, anything that was offered to that person when they were working has to continue to be offered. Yeah. Okay. Right, while you're on maternity leave. Yeah. The other thing I would just mention, maternity leave is a good example. Okay. It's, it's not unusual for, for ladies to decide they don't want to pay for this stuff while they're off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would strongly again, encourage the employer to talk to that employee about continuing the long-term disability benefit. Hopefully nothing ever happens, but things do happen during yeah. childbirth. Right? Absolutely. Um, so to give that coverage up, um, I understand it's, it is, you know, a commitment, but at the same time, it's very, very important coverage. Got it. So, all right. All right. So if somebody is off on leave, they do waive benefits while they're off. Uh, when they return, those, re- those benefits are reinstated. Coverage and, and the contribution just resume as they were previous. 
All right. That makes sense. Lauren, is there anything else that you need to say about this risk or are we on to the next one? No, I think we're ready to move on to the next one. All right. What is it? It's non-evidence maximums. So um, depending, again, on the size of the program, what coverage you have, but for life insurance and long-term disability, we have a thing called non-evidence maximums. So I'll use uh, disability, long-term disability as the example. Um, we have a plan maximum of the amount of disability coverage an employee can have. And these maximums are always determined basically by the volume of coverage or the size of your plan, okay? Uh, somebody that's got three employees compared to somebody that's got 100 employees, there's going to be a difference in what the insurance company will allow. Mm -hmm. okay? But let's just say for argument's sake that the plan maximum for the long-term disability on this plan is $5,000 per month. So, and so generally speaking, Long-term disability, the formula is, say, 66.67% of your monthly earnings is what you can have coverage for, okay? So everybody in the company, they have different uh, income. They're going to have a different amount of disability insurance. So if the non-evidence maximum on this plan is $3,500, which would be a, you know, a common number, then that means that everybody in the company, based on their income, if they are eligible, they would have up to $3,500 worth of coverage, no questions asked. However, if, if your income is making you eligible for more than $3,500 per month of coverage, then it is the uh, plan administrator's duty to make sure that this and we do this at renewal time, but it's their duty to point out to the employee that they have $3,500 worth of coverage and perhaps they're eligible for $4,000 of coverage, right? Hmm. Then they also need to make sure that they hand them uh, the health questionnaire that would need to be completed in order to get that additional coverage. Now, it's very important when they do this, uh, you do not want the employee to fill that out and give it back to you to send to the insurance company. Uh, we have a lot of privacy laws, and that you know that would not fit with the privacy laws. So gotcha. the yeah. again, the duty for the plan administrator, which is what we're concentrating on here, is your duty is to point out the coverage and provide the form to make sure that the employee has the opportunity to apply for the coverage they're eligible for. The, the employee, it's their choice. Do you want to fill it out or you don't want to fill it out? That's up to them. If they fill it out, the address and everything's on the form, they send that directly to the insurance company because it's now between the employee and the insurance company to determine if they are actually eligible, right? Uh, it's possible if the person has health problems that the insurance company can decline that additional coverage. Mm -hmm. But that's nothing to do with the plan administrator. That is between, <clears throat> excuse me, the insurance company and that employee. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody really wants to fill out, you know, a document like that and then hand it back to somebody at their place of business or <laughs> somebody that's exactly. not, you know, with the insurance company itself. So that's a good point. Right, right. So I, I can give you an example. We actually had a client who did not pay attention to this oh boy. and it had been many many years since they actually uh, updated the employees salaries at the insurance company 
again, at renewal time, uh, we always give an employee census to the plan administrator and say, here's what we have on file or at the insurance carrier. Please check the salaries and make sure they are updated. So anytime somebody gets an increase in, in salary, you know, that needs to be communicated with the insurance company because the amount of disability or depending uh, if your life insurance is based on say one or two times salary, right? These things need to be up to date so that the proper coverage is in place. So in this one scenario we had, um, I think the, the person actually had been promoted and it had been years since the plan administrator updated the stuff unbeknownst to us. But anyway, the person was just become disabled and they were eligible based on salary for like a thousand dollars a month more than they had coverage for. Oh, wow. That's an issue. Yeah. We were that's talking huge. about being sued before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Believe in that situation. It was worked out and I think there was a deal made. There was, there was no lawsuit, but you can see how easy that is. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So lot, kind of the last thing on there. So I used long-term disability as the example. Life insurance could have a similar clause, right? If you've got one or two times salary, uh, there could be a maximum of you know, $200,000 of coverage, but the non-evidence maximum maybe is 100000 So you, mm. you have the same scenarios, yeah. okay? Yeah. So when the plan administrator provides that document to that uh, questionnaire, health questionnaire, to the employee, um, my recommendation is have them sign. And you do this like every year. If, if, you know, if they don't fill it out or they're declined or whatever, it's going to show up on the employee census again next year. Every year, have them sign a document saying that this was explained to them and they were provided the evidence of insurability form. Yeah, they, you do not want to make that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like no. a, a whole can of worms. It, it could be, yeah. And, yeah. and again, our job, right, in my opinion, is we just need to help because how many plan administrators out there know this? Yeah. Right? Are they doing this? Are they documenting it? We never know what's going to happen. When it comes to money, um, people, they they sometimes turn on us where we don't think maybe they, they get would. crazy. I'll, I'll say it. They get crazy. They do. <laughs> You're very politically correct. I'll just say they're nuts. And uh, yeah, <laughs> um, man, right. that's, that, it's, it's bad news if it, if it happens. Uh, what, what's the next risk, Lauren? Uh, well, severance packages. Hmm. It's, we do see mistakes. Now, the first thing we tell everybody, and it's part of our administrator's checklist, is if you have someone you're going to be offering a severance to, call us first. Bottom line, just call us. Let's talk about it before you do anything. Hmm. Uh, do not make an offer in writing without permission from an insurance carrier. Really? Okay. Yes. So frankly, anybody or anytime we have requested severance from an insurance carrier, I don't think in 25 years I've been doing this, we've ever been turned down. However, you still have to ask permission and you need to provide them with the details. When is the last day the person was actually at work, right? Active mm -hmm. at work. Mm -hmm. And when is this time period going to end? Are you providing them six weeks of uh, coverage as part of their severance package? Or is it three months? What's the number we need to know when they're going off the plan? 
Got so it. no okay. gray areas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Things to be concrete. As long as, yeah, as long as we provide uh, the insurance company, like I said, we've always, always had uh, a positive response, you know, provide this coverage. Now, the one thing, never, never offer long-term disability coverage. A person that is not actively at work is not eligible for long-term disability coverage. So oh, okay. that is something, just don't offer it. Um, if you do, and it ends up in a situation where you have to go out and get individual coverage, somebody's not maybe healthy enough to get coverage, it just turns into a real can of worms. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to do that. Uh, now, I will say during uh, this COVID situation that, uh, that we're currently in, um, the rules have bent a little bit at the insurance company, but I, I would say ignore that for our conversation and make sure you call us first and we have that conversation. Don't be offering anything until we find out 100% sure whether you can. All right. Any other risks when it comes to severance? Uh, no, I, I think that's it. Again, if they call us, tell us what they're, what they're trying to accomplish, what they mm-hmm. want to do. Um, there's probably lawyers possibly involved in these situations. Um, so there could be a back and forth, but if you have a, you know, a conversation between you, your lawyer and the other, you know, the employee's lawyer, um, just don't put anything in writing until you come back and talk to us. Got it. Makes sense. All right. Any other risks we need to cover in today's podcast? Uh, one last one, uh, or actually there's two more, sorry. Conversion options. I don't think a lot of people realize that upon termination or retirement or at age 65, there are conversion options on the life insurance portion of your policy. So let's say uh, I'm retiring, we'll say I'm 64 years old, uh, up to 65 before that, because your life insurance generally cuts in half at age 65, right? So Hmm. let's say I'm going to retire at age 64, I can convert that life insurance. So let's just say for argument's sake, I have $100,000 worth of coverage through my group plan. And I don't have any personal insurance. So I, I want to take that with me. Because what if I have a health issue, mm-hmm. and I can't go and buy life insurance? Um, this may be the only opportunity I have to get life insurance to protect my family. Right? So upon conversion, there are no health questions. Now, the thing people have to understand is you're not going to be paying the same premiums as you were as part of the group benefit program, right? Totally different coverage. You're now going to uh, an individual policy and the different carriers would have different options. Uh, but you basically have to fill out documents saying that you want to convert that coverage. We can get quotes from the insurance company based on your age, smoker, non-smoker, that type of thing. Uh, so you'll know up front. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to tell you up front that these are not going to be the cheapest policies available. If you're healthy and you want to buy life insurance, then, you know, then you're going to shop around. And you're going to get the best deal, right? Got it. Uh, but if I have a health problem and it's the only option then it's a very good option. Yeah, yeah, because they don't have to go through a health screening. Exactly, yeah. Got it, okay. And then the other thing, just to, very important, there is a time limit of 31 days to have that application in. So you can't, you know, 
three months later decide, oh, I should have converted that life insurance. No, you have 31 days uh, from the end of uh, your coverage and the group to have that done. All right. So the things that you're speaking about the last couple, uh, is this the plan administrator's job to educate the employee on this before they retire or before termination or at termination or, or whatever? Or Yes. Okay. So that's, that's their responsibility. Second question, yeah. is this something that they can give to them in written form that's like, here, read this, and it tells everything that they're supposed to tell them, or do they have to have the conversation with them? They could do it either way. Uh, again, I'm a big believer in documenting everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe it goes back to my younger years when I uh, worked for a large company with a big union in it. And if you did anything, you you documented word for word. I said, yep. he said, or she said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm big on that. So again, I would provide probably in in writing just, and it can be a standard form letter, right? That you have these options, but I would be providing that, and I would probably get it signed and put yeah, in the employee's file. I was just gonna say, yeah, probably wanting a signature on that to prove that they read it, and and that makes that makes perfect sense. All right, you it's said there was one business. more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yes. So one that most people are not going to know about, but let's, let's set up a scenario. Okay. Let's say I've got a really messy desk. I'm the plan administrator. We've enrolled you. You filled out your enrollment form Mm -hmm. uh, to get on the plan and uh, you brought it in and put it on my desk. I've got 14 papers on it. Uh, we're now beyond the time period of when you, then you would become a late applicant that we talked about earlier. Yep. Okay. Your waiting period's in, 31 days has passed since you should have been enrolled and it's buried, your form's buried on my desk. Okay. And then all of a sudden you are in an accident and you become disabled. You've never been enrolled in the plan. This, this is a problem, right? Yes. A big problem. Um, it's a big problem and, and you're going to have a problem because you, you need income and you're, you should have income because you, you filled out your form. Everything mm-hmm. should have been done. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I honest, I made a mistake. I, I missed it. The form got covered. I didn't do it on purpose. Right. Um, however, you're probably going to have to sue me, but you, every employer I would assume would have a general liability insurance policy through an insurance company right? For your offices, whatever the case might be, your properties. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you have the ability or there is a rider, it's called a plan administrator liability rider. That is available, I think, on all policies uh, out there. So what I recommend anybody that's listening to this, if they are not aware of this, the first thing you need to do, get a hold of your, your, your general insurance broker and ask them, is, is this rider on my policy? And if it isn't, you, you need to get it on there. Yeah. And, and again, it's not, it's just there to protect you if there's a mistake. You know, again, the scenario we just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can't, you know, it's not if it's done on purpose or anything like that. Uh, but if there was just an error, then, that, then that's what that's there to cover. Now, I can tell you my plan there wasn't even an additional charge. Um, and to be honest, I don't think anybody that I've actually talked to about this when they've come back to me to say, 
hey, you know, uh, thanks for telling me about this. I talked to my broker. They actually backdated it to our last renewal, which was, you know, three months ago or whatever, Mm -hmm. and there was no additional charge. So uh, not expensive, Uh, even if there was a bit of a charge for it. Definitely, I would say it's money well spent uh, Mm -hmm. because paying a little bit of premium there uh, rather than trying to cover a life insurance or a disability insurance claim or something like that, uh, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right. At the at the onset of this podcast, we spoke a little bit about the checklist that you 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 talked about. Um, how do people get that checklist? Basically, contact us. So uh, we've got the toll free number one eight six six four four five four four two four. They can email us. My email is Lorne, L-O-R-N-E, at currayfinancialgroup.com. You can email me or you could email Joan at the office here. Uh, of course, Joan looks after all of our administrative stuff, so she has copies of this stuff. Her email is the same as mine, but it's Joan instead of Lorne. So uh, all right. we will be more than happy to, to send that out to anybody that needs it. Lauren, that is fantastic. I know that's a, a great resource. I hope anybody listening reaches out and gets that from you. I know they can also connect with you on LinkedIn, correct? That's correct. All right. Look for Lauren on LinkedIn. Uh, also, there's content of the podcast on LinkedIn. Um, you can see all the other episodes. Uh, again, I'm going to be asking you to subscribe in a moment, but uh, it's just great information and it's good information to know. Information like today, you've got to have to protect yourself. So uh, please consider that. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. This is a wonderful podcast. Been my pleasure, Eric. All right. And the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast with Lauren Curry of Curry Financial Group. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Lauren comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Curry Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.